Welcome to the Get It Together podcast with Jess and Sarah, a self-help podcast for cynics. <laughs> Do you like it when I make faces at you before we even begin to speak and just ruin the moment completely? <laughs> I do. It truly inspires me. <laughs> I can't help it. I don't want to look at my face. It's like, our, it. it's like our little pre-show. Uh... <laughs> Facial aerobics? Yes. Wow. 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 I keep meaning to like prioritize doing face yoga or whatever it is when it's Paltrow's been touting. I'm too busy steaming my vagina to add that into my routine right now, Gwyneth. I'm sorry. I'm still trying to get on the vajazzling train, so I don't know when I'm going to throw that Girl, that train has left the station. What are you thinking? (laughs) Get yourself some Duo Blue. Go to Michael's. Get some some sequins and crystals. I just, I don't even understand why, but... I, yeah, I don't know. We got way too much time on our hands as a culture, I think. I think so, too. We need to be toiling in the fields because clearly, <laughs> left to our own devices, all we do is come up with bullshit. And steaming vaginas. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome Hi. to the podcast. Hey, welcome. Hi. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well. Good times. Day in the life. What are you going to do? <laughs> I like how you use your time. It's very productive. Well, I want to. I want to feel like I've made it meaningful. Yeah, for nice myself and, and those around me. Yes. <laughs> In the vicinity of my vagina. Vagine. Vagine. Um, <laughs> well, how have you been? You and your vagine. Uh, me and my vagine. Ugh, we're having a tough time right now, girl. I'm gonna mm. be honest. I'm gonna be honest. Um, I yeah, I've just I've I've been in remission from Hashimoto's for about two years, and I'm having a really severe flare up, and uh, I'm pretty fucking miserable right now. Can you, you explain like what Hashimoto's is? I have a general idea. But. Oh, so Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease uh, that attacks the thyroid. Mm. So I take thyroid medication, but I also um, have to adhere to pretty specific dietary restrictions and and lifestyle choices. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's annoying stuff. It's like, you know, I I have to work out, but I can't work out too hard. And I can only (laughs) eat certain kinds of vegetables. And I can only, you know, it's just, it's like trying to hit a moving target. And I really had things well in hand for a while. And then this last year, well, most of our listeners probably don't know this. Some of you probably do, because we did talk about it a little bit, but you know, last year I went through a severe depression um, and it was brutal and it led to me making some not so great choices, you know, health wise, um, and also just kind of letting things slide as, as you do, you mm-hmm. know, when you're in the, the depths, yep. um, and I had a lot of stress come on, uh, in the midst of that and stress is kind of the worst thing for autoimmune disease, no matter what yeah. kind it is. So it's sort of been the perfect storm and, and I'm not surprised that it, it's come to this. It's just, it's just still sucks to experience yeah. it regardless if you're prepared or not. So <sighs> well, I'm sorry. That is fucking lame. Um. <laughs> Good night folks. Thanks for listening. That was our show. Keeping <laughs> <laughs> uh, it positive. Keeping it positive. Cause you know, so we're about love and light. Yeah. Love and light. 
Well, you know what? That that's the thing is it's not always fun and games on the road to feeling and being your best and. I think this is a good example of that. You know, you definitely feel better when you've got it all in control, but mm-hmm. you know, health is not perfect and life is not perfect and progress is not perfect. And yeah, I think it's important to highlight that. Yeah. And you know, I think hopefully anyway, it's helpful for somebody to hear that, you know, somebody who does this for a profession, that, you know, health and nutrition and, and lifestyle, you know, healthy lifestyle of really, kind of part of my, mm-hmm. my profession, um, I still struggle. Yeah. You know, it's not easy for anybody. And particularly if you have health issues that are so hair trigger sensitive, you know, you're going to screw up. You just yeah. are. So it's just part of the journey, you know? It is. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I personally would be interested in hearing a lot more about that at some point. Um, mm-hmm. if you're comfortable sharing yeah. and, I'm, you know, I think there are a lot of people who maybe don't even know that they have an autoimmune disorder or, you know, are struggling with some of these things. And so um, that's a great idea. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Hashimoto's is actually the most common autoimmune disease uh, on the planet right now, which I did not know until recently. And Mm -hmm. that it's kind of, it's the, it's exploding in the population right now. So yeah, um, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that and, and just the ins and outs that I, that I know to share. Right. Well, and I was going to say, uh, and we'll get to the other topic here in a minute, but um, a lot of the coaches we met through how we met, at, you mm-hmm. know, the conferences and the courses mm-hmm. we took, um, they, a lot of them have Hashimoto's and um, yeah, it's really common reason people get into working in the healthcare field mm-hmm. in somewhere or another, particularly the holistic healthcare field. Yeah. Cause you have to do so much detective work to try to heal yourself. Yeah. There's very little help from Western medicine right now, which is infuriating. Right. Well, and I think that that speaks to a broader kind of calling. Once you do kind of figure out what works for you, you've, you would like to tell other people because you know yeah. how frustrating it is. Yeah. Um, I to know have the to struggle. Yeah. yeah. I know the struggle. So, yeah. so anyway, that's me. How are you, my friend? You know, I am good. Um, as of the record, the, I guess, when this episode airs, mm-hmm. I will be in New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, going for a girls weekend. Um, pretty excited. It's just needed a little bit of a break. Wanted to go do something kind of fun and um, not too far away, you know, but something mm-hmm. a little bit out of the ordinary. So doing that, also celebrating a little bit, um, kind of unintentionally, but once I realized it, I was like, oh, uh, my one year of being sober. That is amazing. I'm so happy for you. Congrats. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. So um, as of September 27th, uh, that's when I decided to get sober last year. And so just really excited to kind of spend that weekend in a place that, you know, generally you associate with alcohol <laughs> and partying, but um, just kind of celebrating and, and think, looking back on the year and what my life is like now versus what it was like then. And I, I wanted to kind of talk about that today because I know, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, but maybe if listeners haven't heard those episodes, um, you know, you're, you're sober and you recently had your five year anniversary. Yeah, it was five years on June 18th. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just such an amazing accomplishment. And I, I really wanted to hear kind of a little bit about your story and we'll 
talk a little bit about what my year has been like, but I wanted to hear from someone who has gone through it for a lot longer, sort of what led you to just make that decision and what were some of the things you learned along the way? What led me to make the decision? There were a lot of things at play actually at that moment in my life. One, my health was really, really in a downward spiral. I was mm-hmm. extremely, extremely obese and uh, severe, you know, autoimmune disease that at that point had not been diagnosed. And I was having just weird symptoms like my skin was gray, my teeth were gray and loose, my hair was falling out. I mean, it was, I was a mess. Mm. And so part of it was I had to get as healthy as possible. So I had, and I was a really heavy smoker. Mm-hmm. There was no way I was going to be able to stop drinking um, or stop smoking if I was still drinking. And I knew right. I had to stop smoking and I'd been fighting that for, you know, battling with that for years. And then um, I had kind of the worst drinking night of my life. And Mm. so I already had it in my mind that I needed to stop. And then I had this horrible, horrible night that basically ended up with me, you know, vomiting in a bathroom and having to do that walk out the door, just looking at myself going, what happened to you? (laughs) You know? Um, so yeah, it was, I think I, I was already on the, the, my mind was already headed in that direction. And I, I definitely gave myself the motivation that I needed and I haven't had a drop or a cigarette since then. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible night. It's amazing. Yeah. And you hear a lot of people talk about like quote unquote rock bottoms. Um, but you know, in my experience, there's a lot of those mm-hmm. for sure. Along the way. I totally agree. I wouldn't yeah. say that was my rock bottom. Yeah. I just would say that was the most humiliation I'd experienced on mm-hmm. a night fueled by alcohol. Yeah. Um, I've hit rock bottom in other areas of my life where it was way messier and way more painful. Right. That, but it was a catalyst that I needed. This was a catalyst that I needed for something that I was already, like I said, kind of already really feeling like I have to find a way to do this. Mm-hmm. And I really, I didn't drink all the time. I didn't drink every day. When I drank, I had no off switch mm-hmm. and I drank to excess. If I was going to do it, I was going to do it until I puked or passed out. And really fucking do it. Yeah, yeah really. I'm going to do it to death. And it wasn't fun, mm-hmm. you know, and I was absolutely using it as a crutch because I've, I've always been, you know, had a lot of social anxiety, it been very socially awkward. Um, and because I was drinking to excess or using drugs or whatever for so many years, there were just developmental things that I hadn't quite developed, mm-hmm. I think, in social situations and in interacting with people that I didn't know how to do it sober. I just had yeah. never learned. So it became a major social lubricant and a, and a social crutch for me mm-hmm. in order for me to have a social life. On top of, it was fucking miserable. Yeah. In almost every aspect of my life. Yeah. You know, so it was definitely one of my misery managers. Yeah, for sure. Me too. I mean, I, I've talked a little bit on here about kind of why I decided to quit drinking, but it was really the same sort of thing. I had a night where I drank way too much, you know, it caused a fight with my husband. Um, I was really sick the next day and it really by the time I finally quit drinking. My hangovers were lasting three days. Oh yeah. Your uh, liver was tough. Oh yeah. 
I was, I was going through that too. It's awful. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where I could have like a glass of wine and still feel like absolute shit the next day. Yeah. Um, it didn't feel worth it. I didn't feel like alcohol was serving me anymore. It was more or less just creating problems in my life. And, um, you know, I was losing, I was losing productivity time. I was losing, um, experiences that I could have had where, you know, I was too hungover to go do things or I was, you know, missing a little bit of work more than I should have, um, you know, and wasting those PTO days when I could have been out on vacation, like I'm going to be doing, you know, I'm doing this weekend, but mm-hmm. instead I was like hungover. Um, right. So that was a huge factor for me. And then also um, this actually marks the year since the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Mm-hmm. And I know that many, many women um, sat and watched that that day and listened to the testimony um, and just heard how people regarded those experiences and it was very centered around well how much were you drinking and you know the conversation really became about do you deserve what happens to you when you drink Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of women really felt that and I certainly did and there's definitely been things and I'm not going to get into it but things that have happened in my life that would not have happened had I not been drinking not to mm-hmm. say that I deserved any of those things, but they wouldn't have happened. Um, and so I think I just had a moment of clarity where I realized here is this thing that's so important in my life that does nothing for me. All it does is hurt me, literally physically hurts me and also hurts my relationships. Um, also hurts my goals. It, you know, it's keeping me from being who the person I want to be. And here are people on TV in culture saying that because you have taken this um, substance into your body that you deserve the bad things that are happening to you. And that's not to say that they're right by any means, but it just made me realize that I didn't want to have any excuse or any sort of thing that kept me from being in control of my life in any capacity ever, ever again. Sure. Um, and I don't know if that was very clear. <laughs> what I no, just- I get it. I, I totally understand okay. what you're saying. You're, you're <laughs> saying that it's not your fault if something happens to you and you're drinking, but you right. realize that many, many bad things have happened to you when you were drinking and you wanted to take the power out of it and take the control back. I get it. Right. Happened to me and that I've done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, for sure. You and me yeah. both. Fuck and- asshole. Yeah. I was a serious asshole. So I just decided it wasn't worth it anymore and it wasn't serving me anymore. And I think that was the biggest thing is it wasn't serving me. Um, and so that night I decided no more. That was it. I spent that day hungover and I was like, I never want to do this again. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so I haven't had a single drop of alcohol, since then. And I got to say, you know, we'll get into kind of how my life has changed, but I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of how I got sober and how you did and, you know, kind of the different approaches to that. Mm -hmm. If anyone is interested in getting completely sober or, you know, just kind of curious about what sober lifestyle could look like for them. Mm -hmm. For sure. So what were some of the things that you did when you decided finally well, because my sobriety was really tied into having to get healthy, I was, I was, t- I think, I think you know this story. I was told that 
you know, we know that you're dying, but we don't know why. Yeah. And so for the first time in my life, I, I cared about living. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I really took it in my uh, hands to, to figure out what was wrong with me and how to, and how to heal it. And mm -hmm. tons of research, tons of hours, you know, spent talking, asking questions, you know, getting in touch with anybody who would give me answers, reading everything I could find. And really it came down to food is medicine. And there's, there's gotta be a way that I can heal my body from the damage that I've done to it. Because mm -hmm. irregardless of what the reason was, it happened because I was so hard on my body for yeah. so many years. Not just what I was putting into it, food or alcohol-wise or smoking, but also really, really negative thinking, being so fucking miserable, horrible, toxic romantic relationships, toxic mm -hmm. friendships, you know, carrying tons of resentment. Um, and so for me, because I was really in a, in a position of, you know, I have to sink, sink or swim. Like it's, it's either do this hundred percent or, or it's over. Mm -hmm. Um, my method of getting sober was less about like seeking support through AA or, or things like that. Like I had a therapist, but I also had a nutritionist and a, you know, personal trainer and, mm -hmm naturopath and acupuncturist, like I was doing all of these things that were sort of spiritually healing for me, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. And processing through so much stuff that that sort of became my program, mm -hmm. so my sober program. If that, I don't know if that makes sense, but it was, yeah. it was a little out of the box, I guess. But that's really what did it for me was, was just having to change everything and not having a choice about it. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's funny how um, not having a choice makes it <laughs> a lot. Right. You know, I mean, I important. had a choice. It was die or don't. You right. Know? But I, I right. felt like I can't. If I die now, the story of my life is really fucking pitiful. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I hadn't accomplished anything. I hadn't enjoyed anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd raised kind of almost finished raising a child that I felt like I wasn't doing a good enough job. I mean, it was just like mm. nothing, nothing felt complete enough to leave. Yeah. And in a way that's the biggest gift. Cause I think without that sense of like, well, fuck, I haven't done anything that mm -hmm. I'm proud of. Yeah. I don't know that I would have been able to overcome some of those demons to, to mm -hmm. fight through it. Cause it was a, it was a fight. It was ugly yeah. for a long time. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, for me, it was kind of a roundabout path as well. Um, I think the first thing I did was join a bunch of Facebook communities. Um, there are a lot of Facebook mm -hmm. communities for sober and semi-sober people. Um, and yeah, and it kind of varies, you know, the degree to which they allow like people who still drink, but not as much. And, and there's a bunch of different types of sober communities on Facebook, but you just have to find one that kind of works for you. Um, at the time, one of the podcasters I listened to was doing a sober month. And so she was doing a lot of um, talking about that on her podcast. And she had actually kind of created a little separate community on Facebook as well. And so that was a really huge resource for me. Um, I also did join AA and had a sponsor and everything. And it was really great because 
the community was awesome. It was all women. Um, I think I only went to one meeting that had men and I decided never again. <laughs> um, uh, no offense to men, but it's a very vulnerable space to be in. Um, well, and my experience in AA is that almost all of the men who are there in recovery are raging at women. Yeah. Like almost, this was just my experience. No <laughs> angry emails. I'm just relaying what happened, but it was like a room full of men furious at ex-wives or ex-girlfriends mm -hmm. and just like, it, it felt like once the gaze is turned on you and it's your turn to talk, I don't feel safe standing up and saying anything about my, you know, putting myself in a vulnerable position in a room full of men who are angry at women. Right. Right. And I think that was why it was, it felt like a safe space for me because the first thing I did was go to an all women's group. Yeah. Um, yeah, brilliant. I, I didn't have that sense. I mean, people were angry, but it was more angry at themselves and, mm -hmm. um, it was really good. It was, you know, they had a, they would get together every Friday and go have dinner and it, they really made you feel like part of the community. Um, so that was great. I, as I learned more and more about AA, it didn't really jive with how I was looking at myself anymore. Um, I started to think about the program as being just not something I wanted to subscribe to in my life. It was not as empowering as I wanted it to be. And I don't, by any means, if, if somebody need, wants to go to AA and, and that's useful for them, um, 100% think it's a great program. But for me, it didn't work. Um, right. And it's not that it didn't work, but it was just, I didn't like the messaging behind it. It's what I'm trying to say. But the women I met there were amazing and strong and I still talk to some of them. Um, so I did that for about, I want to say six or seven months. It's only recently yeah, that I decided yeah, to stop going. But yeah, so that was really good early on, especially because you just don't know what to do with yourself. You know, you've yeah, got, for sure. You've got people that are in your life who maybe don't know that you're getting sober and they are still asking you to go do things. And it's really up to you if you want to tell them, you know, what's going on. I waited a while. I was not sure if it was really going to be something I followed through on. Um, I was just a little bit embarrassed. Um, but of course, you know, once I started telling people that all kind of fell away and the things I was worried about no longer were things I needed to worry about. Like I realized like, Oh, my friends don't, they don't care that I'm getting sober. They're happy for me. Or, you know, they're not like judging me or they're not going to stop inviting me to things. Um, right. those yeah, were I had of, a very different experience than that. I told okay. everybody immediately <laughs> because I was very much like, I need everybody to know because you know, there was so much writing on it. Mm -hmm. um, and then what I found is that I had built a community of people who were for the most part, pretty seriously active, either over drinkers or straight up alcoholics. Mm -hmm. And so for the first six months, nobody wanted to spend time with me to do anything because they yeah. were all out drinking and I was not in any position to go sit in a bar yeah. and sip on club soda. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think depending on what your community looks like, it can be a much harder transition, mm -hmm. which is why something like AA is so valuable right. because then you have a community of people to connect with. You're not yeah. alone. 
in during that time. Yeah. And it's not just meetings. People get together outside of um, meetings. They go do things together. They go have sober fun together, which is great. Mm -hmm. I think, especially if you're just like, I have no idea what to do with myself. Go find somebody who's been sober for a while and go to a coffee shop or go play laser tag, like all of the things that maybe you hadn't even thought about doing. Right. Um, And I think especially in Austin, we live in a very boozy city. For sure. Uh, it was hard for me at first to even see what the options were because you can literally drink doing anything in Austin. Oh yeah. It's either supplied to you or it's BYOB. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, it was a challenge to figure out how to be social and how to interact, um, you know, outside of my home in the beginning, but AA was really helpful in, in helping me create a community around that. And then also, pulling in what I learned from that community into my own community. Right. Yeah. So what are some things that you noticed over the last five years? I mean, obviously you've got the health benefits, but mm-hmm. what are some things that changed for you when you decided to quit drinking? Well, I definitely like the first three years, there was like a noticeable kind of stepping stone thing Mm -hmm. happening. Like the first year was really just about managing boredom. Just get through it. Yeah. Uh, The second year was really about learning to kind of venture out into the world and Mm -hmm. be in places where there was alcohol and not partake and feel okay about that and not make it weird or whatever. Like just kind of getting comfortable existing sober. And then the third year was probably the hardest because that's when for me, so much of my regrets kind of came roaring back. So many of the things that I had suppressed and, you know, drank instead of felt, you know, all the things that I was avoiding, like that's when all that stuff started to really come up for me. Um, But that's also the year that I ended up uh, going to study coaching and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, really got into personal development and really doing some much deeper work. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest thing I notice is that sense of being willing to feel the things that were painful that I yeah. went to great lengths to avoid for <laughs> years. Um, and then also I have experienced and, and been able to observe myself mature in yeah. a way that I desperately needed to. Yeah. Um, you know, they say that you, you stop, maturing at the age that you start using. And I don't, I think that's a much too simplified way to say that, but I do think there were some emotional development and, and emotional tools that I had not figured out. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was just, I was drinking my way through life. You know, I was using drugs or, or alcohol to, to cope. Yeah. So learning to cope, getting actual like life skills and emotional skills and emotional resilience, um, starting to develop those things. I think that's probably been my, the most blaringly obvious uh, change out of the whole thing. Yeah. And you touched on it and I I forgot to, but working with a therapist has been super important for me um, Mm -hmm. throughout this as well because of those tools, you know, getting, figuring out like, how do I work through this without having a drink? How do I sit face to face with this when I really don't want to? Um, That is a huge, huge thing that I think 
if this is something you are interested in doing, you need to go ahead and just start budgeting for that because yep. um, you'll need somebody who doesn't judge you and who just lets you talk and you're, you know, you can find that in, in programs and I'm sure you've got friends that will allow that for you too. But there's something about having a therapist mm -hmm. <laughs> who is paid to just listen to you talk about all of the stuff you're trying to figure out and can help well, you with and, those tools. And skilled enough to help you put a framework around it right. and figure out how to deal with it and integrate what you're figuring out about yourself into your mm -hmm. life and deal with the shame and the guilt and the yeah. like that for me, I had such a huge sense of just like, I have wasted so much of my life. I have, I'm mm -hmm. such a screw up. And it's like, that was just going to get in my way. Yeah. There may be some truth to all of that, but it doesn't help me to dwell on that. And I mm -hmm. needed somebody skilled to help me navigate through that in a way that I felt was, was real. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I think, I think, some sort of support system outside of your friend or family mm -hmm. group is imperative. Yes. No matter, no matter what it is, however, if it's your church, if it's AA, if it's a therapist, if it's a coach, something outside of your personal uh, circle, yeah. I think is, is the way to go. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Sorry, that was my preachy moment. I'm done. No, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Get up on that pulpit, girl. Yeah, climb on up there. <laughs> hold my <Yeah>. purse <laughs> oh man um yeah so I think for me I just kind of want to talk a little bit about some of the things I've noticed over the last year and yeah yeah I'm really curious what what's changed for you yeah and I know I want to just preface this by saying I know not everyone's journey is the same um I don't think that I have the disease of alcoholism. I very much like you, it was more of a thing where I would start drinking and not stop. Um, it was more about having an off button. And so you had a problem with alcohol, but that doesn't mean you had the disease of alcoholism. Right. And I, I agree with that. And so before we, before we go further, I want to maybe just explain that a little mm -hmm. bit to listeners. So the disease of alcoholism is somebody who they are so completely consumed by this need to drink. They mm -hmm. drink every day. They drink probably all the time. Mm -hmm. um, these are the people who, you know, sort of like your textbook story of right. somebody who's sort of lost everything and they're, you know, they've lost their family. They've lost their friends. Maybe they've even lost their home and their job. And then having a problem with alcohol is sort of your run of the mill. You know, I don't have an off switch. Yeah. I drink three to five nights a week. And when I do, I drink to excess. I don't drink at work. Mm -hmm. You know, I can show up and do the things I need to do. I might feel like shit. I might look like shit. I may be an asshole, <laughs> but I can show up and I, I can, I can get through my life. Mm -hmm. That's the best I can describe that. right now. No, I, I think that's the perfect description. It describes how I have definitely have seen myself. Um, and I think it describes a growing number of people that, you know, I've met along this journey who are starting to examine kind of their relationship with alcohol. And I think there are a lot of people now who are very interested in, oh, taking a step back and looking at, okay, well, is this quote unquote normal? Um, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't have all these, you know, alcoholic tendencies, which follow the textbook example, but 
maybe I, I have problematic drinking. Um, and so I think that there is a huge difference between those things. And I just wanted to, yeah. And thank you for clarifying that because I, I do want to talk about my, my last year, but I want to make it clear that I am not suffering from a physical addiction to alcohol. And so I think my experience looks, could look very different for you or for anyone, you know, who's going through this. Um, and it's not to say that this is what it should look like for you. I think everyone's journey is different. Like you said, Sarah, um, you know, it took you the first whole year to feel comfortable with it. And then the next year mm -hmm. for getting comfortable with going out, um, the, it's been a lot, it's been very different for me. And, you know, that's just because we're very different people. Um, well, and I, I also want to say, I think it's, that's a really important distinction from another aspect. And that is that for people who maybe are feeling like alcohol is not, you know, doing the best for them or serving mm -hmm. their lives well, but the idea of saying I'm an alcoholic doesn't right. quite fit. I think that can actually be a hindrance mm -hmm. to deciding to get sober. Yes. You know, I mean, and, and I love that right now there is this move towards like sober living and they're, you know, sober curious and all mm -hmm. of that where, you know, we're just, we've normalized this, this thing that, doesn't necessarily fit in your life. Yeah. And so if you can remove it and it improves your life, great. You yeah. know, you actually lost nothing because it's not something that you need. You know? Yeah. There and I I didn't mention that, but there's a great quote in the sober community that alcohol is the only drug that you have to explain why you're not doing it. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And when you start looking at that, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that <laughs> that's insanity. But, um, yeah, we've, we've normalized it to the point of it being kind of crazy. Right. But one of the things that I had an issue with at AA was having to say I'm an alcoholic. Um, and I went ahead and said it every time I went early, early on, but towards the end there, I wasn't saying I'm an alcoholic because I, I realized like I am not an alcoholic. I have a problem with alcohol. Um, and so I didn't feel like it was serving me to keep putting that out into the world over and over again. Cause I very much believe that if you say something over and over and over, you're basically just affirming that that thing is true. And to me in the way that I, I believe for myself, it didn't feel right to keep saying mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. um, that was part of the reason I decided no longer to be part of AA, but um all of this to say that everyone's journey is very different. And if that is something that helps you, you know, saying that you're an alcoholic, if that helps you, if calling it a disease, if um, have, saying you have an allergy to it, if these are things that are tools that can help you get to where you want to be in your relationship with alcohol, then I say, by all means, do what you got to do, whatever makes you more comfortable. That's the thing. If you need to yeah. get sober, do it by any means necessary. Yeah. And do it for you and why you want to do it. You yep. know, um, you're not going to do it because someone asked you to do it. You're not going to do it because someone told you you had to do it. You're going to do it for the reasons that make sense to you. And that's the only way you're going to be successful. So you have to and find in the way that, that makes sense for you as right. well. You have to find what makes sense for you. So probably should have prefaced all that at the beginning, but here we are. <laughs> you know what? We're getting there. This is a conversation, you know? <laughs> Not a, a squeaky clean polished thing. This is a conversation. We're covering all the bases. Come yeah, join we're, us. We're gonna Long get the meandering stroll. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, meandering. Well, I do have an outline, so it's not too meandering. <laughs> no, you have an outline. I appreciate that. I've looked at it twice, but I appreciate that it's there. <laughs> it's more for me. So <laughs> that's pretty much a metaphor for our entire relationship. <laughs> that I make outlines that you look at once and then the rest of and the then time. and then I just follow you. Okay, whatever. I mean, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Poor Jess. She works so hard. No, that's my slack. 100% all of my own like weird anxiety <laughs> stuff. Um, I have an addiction to outlines. So. <laughs> I have an allergy to them. <laughs> there you go. That's what works for you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wanted to talk about the things that I've noticed over this last year and, you know, and I think, I hope that I've clearly outlined that it hasn't been easy and it has been, you know, very specific to me and my journey and that if, yours doesn't look like this, that's 100% okay. Um, so the first thing I've noticed and the thing that I think has really made me the happiest um, is that I'm on, like, quote unquote, on, like 90% of the time. Um, that downtime and that hangover, those three-day hangovers, all of that's gone. You know, my weekends are 100% dedicated to whatever I want them to be dedicated to. Yeah. Hell I don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't have to linger in bed. If I want to, I can. Like I did last week and I spent a lot of the day taking a nap with my husband and watching movies. And that was great, but I didn't have to do it because I feel like shit. Mm -hmm. you know? I did it because it felt good. Yeah. Because I wanted to have a little bit of a lazy day and that's mm -hmm. fine. Um, and for you, that's a big fucking deal. I just want to a big deal, people. <laughs> This girl does not stop moving. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> when I nap, I nap hard intentionally. <laughs> um, but it, it is like, you know, waking up every day, not feeling like shit, um, being able to get your day started the way you want it to be started, finishing it the way you planned and want it to finish, having just so much more control over what your day looks like, what your week looks like. Um, that was something I was really missing. I felt very out of control and yeah. it was keeping me from working out. It was keeping me from working on my business. It was keeping me from working on my relationships. Um, and since over the last year, I just feel like I'm on an accelerated path to what I want because I'm finally focusing on what I want instead of, getting these three day setbacks every weekend. You know, if you take three days out of the week, you only got four days left. And then if one of those days you're just relaxing, yeah. you know, so I am, um, I definitely feel that that has helped tremendously. Um, the other thing is I'm comfortable in who I'm portraying now. I, you know, we mentioned um, that Sarah and I met at a conference and I remember that conference very, very vividly because it was a health conference, a health coaching conference. And one of the nights, I think it was like the first night I went out and got pretty drunk. And so the next day I felt like crap and I missed the opening speeches and, and sessions. And I missed probably half of the day that I had paid to be at. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what am I doing? I'm at a health coaching conference and I'm hungover. Like, who am I to tell anybody what's healthy or what's good? Right. And it really just made me feel like a fraud and feel like a liar. And I hated that. Um, but I don't have that now. You know, I feel like I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm the healthiest person in the world. But 
I'm, you know, I'm also not going to lie and tell you I, I didn't have a Dr. Pepper today. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I felt like when I was drinking, I felt like I had to hide that part of myself because it was so out of control. Right. Um, and I don't have to do that now. And then, um, you know, I know a lot more about my body now. So one thing I didn't realize was that I get migraines and I get really bad migraines. Um, I think part of what my three day hangovers were, were actually migraines. Um, and it makes sense. Yeah. And until I quit drinking, I, there was no way I was going to know that. Um, I'm also noticing like foods that make me feel sick because Mm -hmm. if I'm not spending my weekends, you know, shoving junk food into my mouth to make myself feel better, um, you know, which really doesn't make you feel better, but I'm never going to know what foods do make me feel good. Um, so just kind of numbing all of those senses of your body and being connected to your body. That's what alcohol is doing for me. And now that I don't have that, I'm much more connected to what is happening, what feels right, what doesn't feel right. And I think that's probably a huge part of what you experienced as well, you know, is getting clear on what are the things that your body needed because yeah. you were able to listen. For sure. Turns yeah. out it didn't need a Reuben at 3 a.m. Oh, Who wow. Knew? That's really surprising. I know. <laughs> but it is, right? Like, I mean, like I said, I wanted to a big greasy hamburger every morning after I had a bottle of wine, you know, how am I supposed to get on track ever with my health if that's how I'm medicating post alcohol? So a hundred percent. I feel like I experienced for the first time what it felt like to actually be in my body Mm -hmm. and not just, you know, because of how, you know, food affected me, but just how it felt to be in my body. Mm -hmm to really connect with this sort of being that I am and how I felt in the world um, and able to process through insecurity instead of, Oh, I feel insecure. I'm going to kind of just disassociate, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's that that's pretty amazing. It is amazing, but it's also scary. You know, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people, there's a reason why we drank. Yeah. The anxiety yeah. of, of having to sit with yourself and how uncomfortable mm-hmm. that can be, I think, keeps a lot of people from, from making that step. Yep. Um, it did for me. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to sit with myself. <laughs> it was gross. I, I didn't want to know 100%. what I was feeling and thinking. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like her at all. Why would I want to be sober around her? Exactly. I'm talking about me, not you. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> I like, wow. wouldn't have wanted to be so, sober around drunk me either. <laughs> we didn't, we never got drunk together. So that's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, and look, we still made friends. I know. Right. Look it's at actually us. possible being social. Move on with your life. Be social. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, I touched on this a little bit earlier, that sense of emotional resilience um, that I think it comes with, maturity but not necessarily unaided like I don't I don't necessarily think like everybody becomes emotionally aware and you know has this <laughs> emotional resilience by the time they're 42 like that's not how that works <laughs> but I think people who are living a mindful existence meaning they are in their body they are connected to their emotions they are able to process through trauma and pain and, you know, difficult things that arise day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's something that you develop with work. Yeah. But when you are using alcohol or drugs or, you know, whatever it is that you're using to disassociate yourself from those things. So you don't have to confront them. You don't develop that emotional resiliency. So one of the hardest things in the beginning of being sober for me certainly was having to figure out how to carry pain Mm -hmm. and anxiety and sadness and hurt. Yeah rejection, disappointment, shame, whatever big emotion and actually have to live in it mm-hmm. until it, it wasn't overwhelming anymore or because there was no tamping it down or numbing it out. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. It was just something that came up and I felt compelled to. No, I liked out. it. I think it's, I think it is important to point out like there are things about this that it doesn't just like you're instantly fine and things are great. It's, um, you know, like we talked about with having a therapist and having someone you can talk to, um, you know, there's a lot about sitting with yourself and being aware and being in your body that is very difficult. And I think that, you know, things like yoga and meditation and, you know, like seeing a therapist, those are things that are taking good a tools. walk, taking yeah. a walk. Yeah hanging out with a furry friend, you know, like things other than just medicating with food and TV and, you know, whatever is stimulating can really help you get to that place where you're comfortable with being alone with who you are. And so that li- like the, the key here being like, what, what's the goal? The goal mm-hmm. is that an, a big emotion doesn't knock you off your center and send right. your world into a tailspin exactly like it would have before. Yeah. You know? But it's baby steps because in the beginning, it kind of is like that. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning, those emotions are really overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I guess my point just being, you know, if you are preparing to get sober or wanting to get sober um, or you're experiencing this right now, it's a, pr- a normal part of the process. And if mm-hmm. you think about how we have managed to deal with all of that stuff up to now, yeah. up to the point where you stop drinking, of course you don't know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets me to kind of my last point about like what's changed is I am a better employee, better friend, better mom or dog mom, (laughs) better wife. Um, because I am able to, instead of sort of numbing out when things like that happen, I'm able to kind of just tackle them head on and it makes me a better human overall. You know, um, a really hard day at work would be me driving home and on the way home, stopping to get a couple of bottles of wine and planning out an evening of just sitting on my patio drinking wine, which, you know, for some people is fine and you can have a glass of wine and unwind and it's fine. But for me, it became numbing out to the point that I can just fall asleep and I don't want to live my life just trying to numb out. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, now that I'm not, that's not even an option for me because I've basically just told myself that's not an option for me. Um, it's, I have to go home and deal with those feelings and whether I do it through talking to somebody about it or journaling or taking a hot bath or screaming in my car or, you know, listening to really angry music, whatever I do to kind of process that is much more healthy than 
drinking until I black out so I fall asleep. And that's really what I was doing to handle those big emotions at the time right. for years. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it really kind of boils down to allowing yourself to be present enough to start handling those things that you're not handling because you deserve to be able to live your life and not, you know, try to make yourself pass out in order to get through it. Right. Right. Yeah. Just trying to be, be as unconscious as possible for as yeah. much time as possible till life ends. Yeah. yeah. Just such a sad thing. Very, very much not the point mm-hmm. one, one would think. Um, not that I know the meaning of life, but I'm pretty sure that's not it. <laughs> you should put I just pay bills. And, <laughs> just pay bills and nurse hangovers. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it for me. Yeah. Um, so was there anything that surprised you when you, or even today, like about sobriety that was interesting that you didn't expect? Mm, I didn't expect to enjoy healing mm-hmm. as much as I have. I didn't expect to enjoy getting to know myself yeah. as much as I have. Um, I, I think probably the biggest surprise is that I like myself because I really was convinced that I was the biggest piece of shit on the planet. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a shock to me to find that I'm I'm pretty okay most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just, it was, it was how amazing it is to just be present in the moment, in my body, Mm -hmm. in a situation confronting something that in the past I would have had no idea how to cope with. And, right. hand, and so therefore I would have handled it totally inappropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and just getting to know myself in that way, I think has been probably the most surprising thing. How about you? Yeah, I think for me, um, I went into this kicking and screaming for, I mean, it sounds like I just like decided one day, but really it was years and years and years of having the yeah. thought of I need to quit drinking. And then, the whole thought of like, fuck that. I don't trust people who don't drink, which was kind of like a joke that I always made, but kind of how mm-hmm. I felt. Um, kicking and screaming is really exactly what I did. I, I, you know, I was in relationships where that was part of why it ended. Um, and so I think what was surprising to me was that once I got past the hump and the thought of like, I'm never going to have fun again. No one's ever going to like hanging out with me again. Once I got past all that bullshit and fear, mm-hmm. um, I actually really liked it and I didn't miss it. And even when I was like on vacation, I wasn't like, I had moments of like, it'd be nice if I could have a glass of wine, but I'm like, I don't want to do that. It's not going to enhance right. my experience. Right. Um, so that was surprising to me. And the other thing was that there are sober people all around me and I had no idea. Um, not even just sober, but semi-sober. So I was really surprised that once I finally stopped kind of hiding from my friend group and, and, you know, told them what was going on, either some of them were already sober and I didn't know, or they were thinking about getting sober or, you know, being semi-sober. Um, Mm -hmm. the impact to my friend group, and I'm not going to take credit for it, but the impact to my friend group of the last year, I've seen how, all the dynamics have changed. There's at least two of us that are sober in the group and the drinking and the focus on drinking has really um, reduced quite a bit. And even when it is a drinking kind of get together, um, there's always 
options that are non-alcoholic, which is fantastic because people then don't feel like they have to be drunk the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really just been interesting to see how semi-sobriety has kind of taken hold of my friend group, which was a really heavy drinking friend group, you know, and that Mm -hmm. was like our favorite thing to do. Um, So, you know, if this is resonating with you and you're curious about either getting sober or just reducing your drinking, I, you know, I'm sure both of us would love to talk a little bit more about it and give you any resources you have, you need. Um, I know that we talked a little bit about some, some different types of resources and I, I don't really want to link them out necessarily just in the show notes, but if you want them, go ahead and, and direct message one of us and we can get those to you. And there are, and we've mentioned this before, there are um, counseling groups here locally in Austin. I'm sure they are in every major city uh, mm-hmm. that are sliding scale, mm-hmm. um, you know, set up for uh, low income or payment plans. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it's not, uh, it's not impossible right. to get help. So. There's also online stuff now like Betterment or BetterHelp. That's true. Betterment yeah, is a 401k. But. <laughs> there is actually, and I, I don't know enough about this to uh, say that it's that it's a great option, but I do know that there is now an online uh, treatment program oh. mm. for people that, you know, don't want to leave the house, understandably. Um, so there, there are all kinds of options out there and yeah. one may, one way it may not work for you and you may have to try several before you find the one that does, but mm-hmm. there are plenty of options out there. Yeah. And if you're interested in working with a sober coach, I have a friend who is a sober coach and I'd love to connect you with her. Um, yeah. And I think also just to say that if this isn't resonating with you and you're think you're hearing this and you're thinking like, I don't actually have a problem with alcohol. Um, I think that's fine. You don't have to feel like you have to get sober. I think there are plenty of people who can, like I said, sit down with a glass of wine at the end of the day and not have a problem setting it down. Um, and I think that's great. And you know what? I'm, I don't have a problem with sitting at dinner with that person. I think that, I think that it could be groups of people that can have different tolerances of alcohol and it doesn't have to create a huge issue. So for sure. For sure. Yeah. We're not trying to vilify drinking as a whole, but I think our our aim here really was to not only share our experience, but also just kind of get you to examine your relationship with alcohol. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. Yeah. More power to you. But if it is, there's help. Yeah. I hope that was interesting. And I definitely will keep updating people, you know, as my journey continues. And, um, I think, you know, Sarah and I, we hope to do something with this a little bit more in the future because it is so important and interesting. And I think there is a lot of space for growth in this area. So for sure, for sure. And this is kind of one of the things that that you and I bonded over initially too, was, you know, you had just decided to get sober and I was, um, I guess four years in at that point. Um, and just had some really good conversations about it. So I, I look forward to more check-ins and updates. I really appreciate this conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you. Cool to hear. Sharing. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so what is your intention for the week? Hmm. My intention for the week is to continue to be really mindful about nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I'm going to try to do at least two days of, of self-care. Like I need to do an infrared sauna, nice. do a facial, something I need to really 
work on my stress level and just give myself some, some downtime. What about you? That's so important. Um, yeah, so I have my fall vision board workshops coming up. So my intention for the week is to get really, really organized around that and start planning for those. Um, and that's going to look like, you know, gathering all the supplies and getting all the promotions out and everything. So that's my big focus. And if you're in Austin and you're interested in attending one of those, I'll definitely put the link in the show notes, but there's going to be one every month, um, starting in October and through January. So love it. Yeah. Definitely reach out if you're interested in that. It's a really fun afternoon and um, I really enjoy doing them. So Yeah, it's a really amazing tool. Yeah, for sure. If you would like to share your intention with us, you can do so in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash get it together or on Instagram at get it together podcast. That's right. And if you like this podcast, you can show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts and by telling your friends about us. If you would like to learn more about us or get show notes or even drop us a line, you can go to our brand new website at www.getittogetherpodcast.com. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation and I appreciate you sharing your story and listening to me talk about my story. And yeah. yeah, likewise. This was a blast. I really um, was excited to, to just catch up and kind of see yeah. how it's been. So thanks for being um, willing to go there. Absolutely. All right, lady. Bye. Next time. Bye. Bye.